Winston Churchill was once asked who he would like to meet and talk with in the afterlife, and he replied without hesitation, Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was a most uncommon man, a literary giant who 114 years after his death still challenges, provoke, and touches deeply. But strange that I was not told that the brain can hold in a tiny ivory cell God's heaven and hell. These profound words from his poem to the actress Lily Langtry were written when he was still living his charmed life. But the famous sunflower, the wit, and the adoration began to unravel when Wilde met and fell madly in love with Lord Alfred Douglas, the son of the Marquis of Queensbury. Wilde found himself engulfed in rumors and innuendos ending in his trial and conviction. Oscar Wilde's life turned from heaven to hell he was sentenced to two years of hard labor in Her Majesty's prison, Reading Gore. In a letter written on the eve of his release to his friend Robert Ross, he said, someday the truth will have to be known, not necessarily in my lifetime, but I'm not prepared to sit in the grotesque pillory they put me into for all time. I don't defend my conduct, I explain it. Wilde's trials caused public attitudes towards homosexuals to become harsher and less tolerant. Many same-sex relationships seen as innocent became suspect after Wilde's trials. His popularity in defiance of the critics is his ultimate unanswerable paradox, thrown like a challenge from beyond the grave. The question some still ask, was Oscar Wilde's notoriety more about the devastating circumstances in his personal life than his brilliance as a playwright and poet. If we fast forward a few generations in the same country, um, at during World War II, Alan Turing was a, a British code uh, analyst who worked with their computers departments. Um, and Alan Turing is credited with coming up with the programs that helped crack the Nazi Enigma machines, probably leading to the Allied victory in uh, the Second World War. Um, Alan Turing was charged with the same crime as Oscar Wilde, gross indecency, and was given the choice whether he would choose hard labor or chemical castration and he chose the latter and lived out his life after being fed a soup of cyanide, um, basically uh, living out the next years of his life completely unsure of who he was, and Alan Turing later committed suicide. Um, the British government this past year has uh, decided to pardon Alan Turing of his crime of gross indecency, or his crime of being himself, and uh, this presents problems for our generation and questions and lets us know that the past for Alan Turing and for Oscar Wilde isn't as far away as it seems. So welcome everyone. Uh, this is We Are Talking and this week we are discussing LGBTQ. Um, so Annette uh, and Ian have very nicely sort of put it into context uh, historically, um, but we're going to also talk about what's uh, happening today. Um, I think a big thing that has come up uh, with, especially with Alan Turing, is the idea that the government decided to pardon him for his crimes, um, and I know that that's uh, 
quite a, a heated debate whether or not a government can pardon someone for you know, a crime if the crime is being yourself, uh, along with a number of other things. Uh, but what do people think about that? Well, he was getting pardoned. Uh, the one person standing out out of all those people that weren't pardoned for the same crime, right? And I say crime in brackets. Um, but we should also think, yes, he was pardoned, which shows that he never did anything wrong. So it's a single symbol. But if they could have just spent the same effort pardoning everyone under that was convicted under that crime, it would have been just as easy, I think, and would have made a much bigger sentiment. There are ways to move forward without pardoning someone, too. Um, and sometimes it's important to acknowledge that our history of intolerance isn't that far behind us, and that you can't actually write it with the broad stroke of a pen or a governmental whim, people being lobbied. So I think there are ways that it could have been treated differently, but I think it's it's just an excellent avenue into a broader discussion on our social society and governments in general and groups of people and, and how we perceive ourselves and our sexuality and who we are in this larger dynamic of a group. Something very individual in the light of something that's ultra-public in some ways. I was utterly shocked when I saw uh, in the middle of the grandeur and $51 billion in Russia, these these young women, the rock, the rock, rock girls, being whipped it, right in front of you on camera, I was like, "This can't happen," and it did. And there was absolutely no excuse afterwards. There was no "we're sorry." There was nothing, and the world didn't rise up. They just sort of, "Oh, let's just enjoy winning medals." Bigger fish to fry. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I, I stopped watching. I'm sorry. I just couldn't. Yeah, I, I, a lot of my friends, they've been really celebrating the Olympics recently. And I find it hard to even like consider the sports aspect of it at all when the country that's hosting it, I mean, it's um, the, the government isn't even particularly like kind toward the people it favors. Um, let alone, you know, um, those who are heteronormative. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's just, whenever I mention these issues to anyone who, you know, enjoys the Olympics, they always tell me that it has nothing to do with the Olympics, but if Russia's a country to host the Olympics and it has everything to do with it, it's the Olympic Committee that, um, you know, accepts this treatment if they choose Russia to host their games or if they, you know, allow Russia to host the games. I, um... I think everyone, every, I guess, I, idealist person would like to say that politics and sexuality shouldn't, shouldn't meet. It, you know, your personal life should be your personal life. Political life should be its own thing. Um, but the reality of it is, sadly, not, uh, not the case. And there are so many complicated politics when it comes to sexual orientation, um, gender identity, all of these topics, um, and I think the nature of that idea makes something non-political, so to speak, as people claim the Olympics to be, um, extremely political. And although um, I think 
you know, the Olympics are a great time to celebrate your country and, and what you're doing and, and all these great athletes. It, at the same time, I think it's an incredibly powerful political tool, um, especially when you look at it historically when it was held in Germany um, under uh, the Nazi regime. And I think that it's a shame that more uh, didn't come of it. Um, I specifically did not, uh, I actively chose to not watch the Olympics. I didn't watch uh, a single thing that took place. I didn't watch the opening ceremonies, didn't read any articles. Um, and uh, that was sort of my, um, my decision based on what's going on because I think that the fact that uh, you have the entire world watching and people decided to get drunk and watch hockey um, is a waste. Uh, is a waste of media uh, attention. Um, and I think that people need to realize that the Olympics happen, you know, for a short period of time and, and people want to celebrate that short period of time, but the larger picture is, you know, we're talking about human rights. We're talking about day after day after day of people not being able to be themselves, of people not being able to love who they want to love or be who they want to be. Um, and so you know, sacrificing a year of hockey and curling and all these things uh, in the big picture is not that large of a sacrifice. Yeah, the very idea of the Olympics in itself is political. To the idea to feel your country, this patriotism, is political in itself. The Olympics can't not be political. Um, if anybody's seen the Queer Nation uh, New York video that they did about the Coca-Cola um, sponsorship of the Olympics in Russia, it was just eerie. Uh, just they used, in case people haven't seen it, they used an old Coca-Cola advertisement song about diversity and pasted it with, uh, for the video itself with clips of LGBT people, um, protesters being arrested, um, beaten, and it was just horrific. It was chilling. Uh, all I could think of in one scene with a guy holding up an LGBT flag and the police coming and just grabbing him wordless and taking him away. It just was eerie remembrance of the Holocaust, honestly. Just taking people away, just grabbing them, halting them away. Uh, it may seem like an extreme reference, but I don't think it is. People are being themselves and and they're just, it's their very selves are thrown away. And in relation to Oscar Wilde's, this is all something that happened before, happened in that age, although there was no other countries that were any better at it, no examples, but he, all he had was his own belief that there is something better than this, right? That there can, will be, can be an accepting world where these people can look to the rest of the world and say, you know, there is another place out here, so, yeah. I think also we should take note that right now we might be talking about the Olympics and the situation in Russia, but that this is not a foreign problem by any means, and that education and our own local and broader Canadian political and social society is one that has some maybe troubling tendencies as well. Yeah. I, like, I think 
throughout these conversations, so we've met twice before now and, and sort of hashed out some topics and, and gone over some ideas. Um, and I was saying earlier today that I caught myself saying things that I realized are just um, not incorrect, but, but not a, appropriate for me to say and for me to speak um, on behalf of other people. And, and that as much as I believe that I am accepting um, and, and, and non-judgmental, it's, I think, the nature of um, the society we've grown up in to, to perceive things a certain way. And so, you know, although I grew up with people who identified as other than heterosexual, um, you know, it, it, there are still certain things that are stuck in my head. And something that came up um, uh, in one of our earlier conversations was uh, talking about sort of the stereotypical gay male or the stereotypical lesbian and how um, how it's so easy for, for people to just have this one image and stick with it. Um, and, you know, as much as we all like to think like, oh, no, I've never thought that. But, you know, you, you meet people sometimes and, and instantly that thought goes through your head and you realize that it's none of your business. It, you know, they can act and walk and talk and do whatever they want. Um, and it's, um, I don't know, it's upsetting to, to, to be able to identify these, these ideas that come into my head myself um, because I, I try not to do that. Um, but it's very hard when you're sort of surrounded with, with this. And, and, you know, even down to, I think, the most commonly used uh, slang, I think, derogatory slang, but, but using the term gay as negative um, just because that's very prominent in uh, especially a high school scenario. Um, and just having that, you know, no matter how open-minded you are, you're still hearing that every day. I think, like, in the context of um, talking about terms like that, I was reading this article, or I just came across it, that was, like, a list of a bunch of what they called microaggressions um, <clears throat> that people... This was actually related to race, but that people felt that they were experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis, but uh, a lot of it wasn't... I didn't really think it was micro anything. It was, like, just outright, like, racism. Like, um, but I think it does speak to something interesting, which is uh, when people call people out on saying stuff like that or when people point out things that people have said to them that bother them, um, it's often taken as, you know, oh, you complain about everything or, like, you... Uh, especially, in the, and, like, we've seen with the Oscars recently and all the stuff that's been going on with... Uh, a lot of trans people or, or just queer people in general being unhappy about Jared Leto and winning the Oscar. Um, and I think it's easy to say, th you know, those people are completely wrong and we, you know, all these things are totally valid and they are totally valid, but I think what it really speaks to is that we need to bridge a gap between uh, there's a super educated and, like, very aware community and then there's uh, a community that's maybe not so aware and I think it's due to a lack of education, like, an exposure. Um, and, like, there's just a huge, like chasm yeah. that seems to be between them and it only widens and gets more and more the more that there's like kind of antagonizing between well that's because it's not people aren't having conversations yeah right like we uh, the reason we rely on stereotype whatever stereotype that is is because that's the only example of someone uh, that we know mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um, and and like if you if you have only ever seen like uh, essentially a caricature of a certain person, um, that 
that is all the information you have, and that and, and that's why having conversations is so important, and 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 encouraging education and and all of those things because that's what you know destigmatizes anything, right? It's having conversations. It's you know, having open dialogues with people that maybe you wouldn't before, um, and also meeting people where they're at, um, because you know uh, it can be hard to have a conversation with someone that um, doesn't have the knowledge level that we have, right? Like, uh, if I'm talking to someone and they use, like, for example, I was I was doing a workshop um, one time and, and someone came up to me at the break and um, we were we were talking and they referred to me as a homosexual male. And so neither of those labels do I identify with. Um, and, but, um, I kind of, you know, do my best to kind of take it in stride and continue having that conversation and not just be like, no, like I might say, like, that's actually not how I identify and like have a conversation about you know, our identities and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to kind of like try to meet people where they are. That's obviously not saying, you know, let them be bigoted, um, but it's, you know, work with people as opposed to just, you know, have that kind of like animosity between. Because, mm-hmm. um, and also, you're not, no one wants to agree with someone else that's like aggressive towards you. You know, like if someone's yeah, totally. a- a- aggressing at you, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, actually, you to- you're totally right. <laughs> you're like, you bang on. I'm totally in the wrong here. It's interesting too because I think even in our like in our ac- current academic context too, there's such a you know you ask someone oh what's your major like oh women and gender studies and you can go one of two ways you can go like oh that's awesome or you can go the oh that's kind of edgy and maybe forward thinking or the well that's not really necessary mm-hmm. right and so I mean when you think about a group of people that are supposed to be having dialogue with one another and even at that level it's just not working. You know, and I'm sure with your job, you experience this on like a, on an overblown <laughs> scale, right? And 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 the funny thing is, like 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 for example, with with the example I just gave about someone coming and talking to me at a break, I was talking to a fourth year uh, advanced topics in human sexuality class, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's not like I was talking to intro sociology, mm-hmm. right? Where I can maybe expect a little more. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it, so you have to like really be constantly working at like not making assumptions about assumptions about people because like and for for me especially so I don't you know uh, hit those walls right away because like I I went into that for example I went into that class with the assumption that like it would probably be a pretty breezy easy time um, and for the most part it was it was it was good but. But that was actually the worst experience I've ever had talking to someone um, in my professional capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, the most, I guess, like, um, somehow homophobic um, interaction I've had. Like, and, and not, like, intentionally homophobic. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, without qualifying it any more than, like, what I've already said. Like, essentially, like, yeah. Um, and, and, and it's that kind of, like... what I'm looking for um, it's an I word it means uh, not really apparent implicit maybe <laughs> either way um, just kind of like like homophobia that is, isn't abundantly obvious right or transphobia that's not abundantly obvious um, 
yeah, using the, the, using language people don't identify with or or, or, or whatever. Yeah, and just by omission or glazing over things or not being mm-hmm. conscientious of what you say and who you're saying it to, you can hurt people, you know, without meaning to. Um, but that's, and like you said, this this the, I guess the frustrating part about all this is that the majority of these things, at least at the social level, can be fixed by conversation. And it's just the fact that people aren't having these conversations and they're adhering to caricatures and stereotypes that kind of, it doesn't mix. Now, how do we, and this is a question to you guys, um, how do we open up a much larger conversation with parents? So when they are being told from, by their young child, I am not feeling like you think I should be feeling, I am, I think, and I know I am. Mm-hmm. Parents, either we have those stereotype reactions, oh, please, and shocked, and I'm trying to understand you, and they don't really, and they play along, and but they don't want to know. Because that is the bridge, I think, for the new generation, not your generation, because you have already where you're supposed to be and where you want to be, but the new children growing up with parents who are not a well enough educated to understand the reality and the beauty of this. Now, uh, I will continue on that, but can I just take a step back to we're all making, um, we all make some subtle homophobia, transphobia um, without realizing it because we just don't have the education or we, we just make mistakes. Let's face it, I've made lots of mistakes. I've misgendered people. I've had to said stuff that people say, said, no, Jessica, that's offensive. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, right? So um, that happens to us all the time. We just keep, need to keep looking for education, right? Like, I noticed some, thing, some things even here that's like just little words that some, some people would, that aren't right, but it's like, and none of us, well, I can't say about myself, but the rest of you, to the best of my knowledge, are not homophobic, transphobic people. After all, we're talking about this, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's just something that always requires education. You can never, never have too much education. Uh, you know you're doing doing good when someone will actually feel that it's safe enough to confront you and say, no, that's offensive. Then you know that they feel safe confronting you about this, right? So you have to take that confrontation. Like one person here, uh, not single anybody up did say heteronormative right what's so normal about it mm. what makes it more normal what makes heterosexual being more normal than being homosexual right but that's a normal thing that any of us could say right and and uh, another and another thing back to the gender studies I had I had people just more than one person just assumes since I'm transgender oh I'm studying gender studies <laughs> what no I, I don't know anything about that class I'm, I'm a journalism student <laughs> I'm studying to be a journalist <laughs> I don't even know what jobs I can get with gender studies <laughs> I, I want to be a journalist <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah right we, we also can't limit people that that identifies this by these boundaries and stuff like I don't know anything about the gender studies class <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I think that's actually an interesting point is that, that people 
you know, once more make a lot of assumptions about about your your life choices just because, you know, you are a certain way. It's like someone, you know, looking at a guy and saying, like, oh, it's like you're gonna be a plumber, like guys are plumbers. Like <laughs> You know, you're not, you're not, you don't fit into this box. Like, oh, okay, you probably want to study that for the rest of your life. Like, it, it's kind of funny how, how quickly your mind goes from A to B when it's like you are an incredibly deep person and you have all these wants and needs and you want to be a journalist. You want to, you know, you want to write stories. You want to be in the news. You want to do these things. You know, being who you are is, is a part of that, but it, it doesn't necessarily make your life fit into this this one little little category. Um, I think something something that I've been um, thinking a lot lately, thinking a lot about lately, um, is, um, and I think this is a big part of it too with, with sort of um, creating a, an informed uh, generation is um, uh, just like, percep- per- I think perception is, is, a, is a huge part of it. Uh, but the, we talked a little bit about being an ally and sort of identifying as an ally, um, which has troubles. Uh, I know that there are a lot of debates around sort of the definitions and, and how things are with that, but I think um, I think that's something that, you know, although there are issues, is, is extremely helpful. And I think having more people come out and identify themselves as, as you know, someone who really does support um, people wanting to be themselves is really important, and I think that you know, if I'm not saying you know if we were all to wear a rainbow pin and, and show, but but you know if if everyone who actually did believe that went out and started wearing a rainbow pin, I think very quickly more people would would start asking questions and more people would start um, being um, sort of interested in it and talking about it because you know you don't want to be left out, and I think. There's a fair amount of population, at least in my generation, that, that are open to the conversation. And I, so I think that being more open about it um, and being more honest is, um, is definitely something that, um, that, that needs to happen in order to sort of bring on uh, more understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because with the conversation thing, like, I think no one would, no, like, it's hard, it's difficult to object to having an open space for talking, or even wearing a pin, um, but some, I think some aspects, it can kind of feel, um, okay, so I'm thinking of, uh, I read an article recently about, in Toronto, there's been a big, uh, debate that's kind of been reignited about whether they should continue to allow nudity at Pride, like, kind of relax the, because so far they've kind of turned a blind eye, although it's illegal, um, they've said, oh, we're going to, you know, look away for this one day the way that we look away for, like, the weed march or whatever. Um, and I just thought about, you know, I want to know what you guys think about what the relationship of sex is to sexuality, what the relationship is of nudity to sexuality, whether we think that nudity is people being able to express themselves and, like, that's body positivity, or whether nudity is going to turn people away who really, like, need to be there. Well, I know on... Uh, I can't say this for myself, but on behalf of my parents, every time the gay pride parade is um, mentioned, they immediately turn, um, well, their, their general default opinion about it is that it's really gross because they're already inclined, not, they're not, so, not necessarily that they're homophobic, but they're inclined to be more conservative about these types of topics. And I guess 
for some people, um, a really big, bold expression of freedom in that sense, like you just said, does turn a lot of the more conservative-minded people out. And that's, you know, who the pride is. And not necessarily aimed at directly, but it should definitely be in the trajectory. It would help, yeah. There's a brilliant article in the Globe and Mail uh, by someone named Justin Ling, who um, attended King's for a little bit. Um, and it sort of talks about a, there was a debate sparked when Rob Ford didn't attend the Toronto Pride Parade. Because the whole world listens to what <laughs> Rob Ford actually yes. thinks. It's problematic that everything he does makes the news, but apart from that, I think um, it, it sort of got people thinking about Pride. Um, and I think on one hand, it is some of the, like it is kind of uncomfortable to see, um, regardless of you know ignoring the whole sexual aspect of it, but to see naked people running around doing things for some people that's outside their comfort zone. Um, but this article um, that Justin wrote is uh, really wonderful because it sort of talks about um, about the gay pride movement and puts an emphasis on pride and how it's not people going out to shock anyone or do anything. It's, it's people coming out and, um, and expressing themselves and celebrating um, what, what's happening because these, these gay pride parades started as marches, they started as riots, they started as, as people coming together and, and in a more hostile way. And now that it's something that they can do openly, it's become a joyous thing. Um, and, and so they sort of let people be themselves and you know, to one ex- you know, extreme, there are people going around uh, naked, um, which, you know, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think it's really important to, to make that connection, um, because I think a lot of people don't make the connection between uh, pride parades and what a pride parade used to be and sh- and I would argue should still be um, and a pride parade was a protest right and it, I uh, it was it was a protest to say you know we're here and that's a reality that we have to start talking about um, because we're not talking about it and we've come a lo- and, and I think one of the reasons that we kind of maybe forget the, that that had that origin. It was because we have come a long way, right? We, uh, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of progress to make. And, and that is kind of like, you know, pride parades are kind of a contentious issue because when you're talking about pride parades, you know, there's some people that are really pro-pride parade and there's some people that are really anti-pride parade. And not necessarily anti-pride parade, but they're anti, like, anti-corporate, um, uh, anti-corporate and, and anti- uh, like moving away from the message, right? Um, and, and so that's a really kind of contentious issue. And I think it's really important to remember that, um, you know, that kind of came from that. Um, I, I did, um, I, I don't know if someone else has something else to say about mm-hmm. pride parades. I did want to kind of also defend the use of the word heterosexism, because um, it's like a totally great word. Um, that define that, that defines something that's like really prevalent in our society. Like we live in a heterosexist society, right? So when we like when we use a hetero, we, you know, our society is innately heterosexist. And what I mean by that is, our society assumes that uh, being heterosexual is the norm, 
right? Um, whether that's explicit or implicit. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think having conversations around that, right? And, and that's as important as having conversations about homophobia and transphobia. Um, so I just wanted to say, like, I think heterosexism is a, is a really great idea to talk about because it's, it's not something that we really think about because when we're talking about, when we're, when we're trying to have a conversation with someone um, that uh, hasn't really had to think about this stuff too much, um, you know, it can, it can be a really hard conversation for that person to have um, because we grow up in a society that tells us a lot of stuff and uh, sometimes that stuff isn't so great. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's another really important. And the, the I word I was looking for was innocuous. Yeah. So <laughs> innocuous homophobia is what I was trying to get at. I, I knew it was there somewhere, and I knew it would come back. I got a pad, so I remember. Um, but yeah, like talking about like, and what, what I mean by like innocuous homophobia is kind of like stuff that we don't really. It's not like oh that's homophobic. Like it's not your first reaction to it. It's not like calling someone a derogatory word, but it's it's um, you know. Uh, negative glances or you know etc yeah. etc et um, so I just wonder that yeah. was what I wanted to uh, bring up earlier I find um, a tool that's used quite often um, which I find to be personally problematic is sort of um, and, and for a lot of people like it, it is a good tool I think in, in some respects but sort of um, creating empathy um, so the example I'm going to give is there was a YouTube video trending on Facebook about a month ago, um, and it was it was um, it was a French video, and it sort of flipped gender roles. There was a guy who was pushing a stroller, and, and women were hollering at him and catcalling him and all these things, and, and you know everyone said, "Wow, like this really opened my eyes to sexism," and it's just like. You mean sexism doesn't open your eyes to sexism? <laughs> you know? And so, and so when I, I hear people talk about, like, like oh, well, like, you know, because a lot of people put forward the argument, you know, what if everyone in the world was homosexual and you were prosecuted for being heterosexual? And I think that's a good tool to, um, to sort of frame it if, if it's something you can't understand, to, you know, picture what it would feel like to be you and, and have that not be okay. But I think that... The fact that people aren't just already, you know, confused by this being a thing is, is, is problematic because it's teaching you to be like, to not really understand what this idea that other people exist, other um, feelings exist, and, and, and that you have to sort of feel yourself persecuted, um, which, yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, there might be some problems with that um, method. But um, it's definitely the reality of the matter that a lot of people just aren't aware of certain problems. Like, um, I mean, even the MPAA, um, Motion Picture, um, I'm not sure what it, the actual acronym is, but the, the board which um, determines the uh, ratings for films in America, um, you can even see uh, latent um, uh, sexism and homophobia and that when um certain situations, even if they aren't necessarily more sexually or um, like violently explicit than others, will um, uh, guarantee a higher rating. Um, the movie Blue Valentine, which focuses on a... Um, uh, sorry, not Blue Valentine. Um, Blue is the warmest color. That movie had some problems with its uh, rating because um, of the uh, homosexual nature of the relationship with the main characters of the film. 
So, I mean, some people wouldn't recognize that as anything um, problematic, but, you know, if you use those kinds of tactics and it works, then if it works, it works. I mean, there could be some side effects, of course. Well, it will work because the, 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 the way the American think about that particular issue in movies in Hollywood is let's try and walk the tightrope here. Yeah. Let's slide through it. So we have gays now in certain television shows, and then, but we don't go to the reality of what it, what people really feel, and what this is about. They will always say, "Ah." Uh because they, they can then say safely afterwards, well, we have shows with, mm -hmm. you know, but they don't show truth. Or they're exaggerated enough to yeah. become characteristic. Exactly, and then they become caricatures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in, in True Lies, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen it? Um, I've seen parts of it. Oi, <laughs> as they say, oi. Um, that is, I don't know. You yeah. know, that, that you don't, you feel so uncomfortable because this is so not... Yeah. what the reality is, right? Well, I think if you characterize, or caric, I don't know how to make Character. that into character. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. If you make something into a caricature of itself, <laughs> yeah. um, then you can kind of exaggerate the issue to the point where it's kind of fantastical or pitiable. So that, you know, it, it kind of creates like the nobleman over the savage, I guess, kind of effect where it's, you know, I pity you in your situation. Um, I think Hollywood does that a lot, um, and you see that in the you know the um, the Academy of Motion Pictures and or Motion Pictures and Arts and Sciences. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> um, that happens a lot with those guys. Um, you know, like they'll often it, it almost it often seems like they're picking certain films to win certain awards out of some sort of either guilt or pity or something, and I mean it's kind of like um, a sort of self congratulatory. Yeah, we know there's some sort of issue here. I mean, we're not actually gonna you know do anything about it, but we're gonna make an entertaining film about it. And that's why the, the double standards in movie making mm -hmm. out of because it's a commercial. You see, Hollywood has always been honest about one thing. We are making money. <laughs> we are making entertainment. And we are not doing the big issues. Whereas European films have always been the, the opposite. And they are making these small, smaller, more intimate films about people about people. And I think it will be like that as long as movies are being produced, it will be the Hollywood blast, it will be, you know, Gravity and whatever these big movies are. And then we will have these interesting films that come from India, Korea, uh, Vietnam, Brazil, Denmark, uh, you know, whatever. And I think the audiences are now aware of that, and they go to the films mm -hmm. because they want to see the film, because they like the filmmakers, because they like the stories, and everybody goes and sees Gravity with the popcorn and the, you know, <laughs> and say, hey, that's great, great technology, hey, hooray, you know? <laughs> and I think that's the way it is. Uh, unless anyone has anything else to add, what the wolf uh, was switching to before about coming out to your parents, I think that's yes. really important. Unless anybody yeah. has anything no, else to you, add. No, you were going to say something. That is a good topic to give. Getting back, uh, back to coming out to your parents, then, as I believe that was the direction we were heading before we gone back to <laughs> that. Um, the one thing I would suggest about coming out to your parents, which was my mistake, don't say I think. 
I think is an unsure word. If your parents, and most parents do, I've very seldomly, as never, met a parent that doesn't have an idea of what they want their kids to be, right? And in this century, unfortunately, that's a straight, cisgendered male or female. And when a kid says, or a child or anyone says, I think, it's a sign of, I'm unsure about this. And they're going to lean towards their ideal rather than, and they're going to stay in denial for a lot longer or for a definite amount of time compared to if you were to spin, I'm sure, you know, like, I'm this, I'm that. Not saying, I think, it would be a much firmer, I'm sure about this, right? I'm responsible, I'm sure, instead of this ignorant, I think, which is good for some situations, like people that don't have, like, their already ideal set of you, like, talking to friends, etc., that's that can be a proper I think but for this situation my one advice don't use I think huh. I think, uh, <laughs> we've talked I think uh, I, I, I find it sort of funny that almost entirely every single topic we, we've spoken about has uh, with uh, in terms of LGBTQ has actually just involved language um, that sort of seems to be the root of, of a lot of um, negative things, a lot of positive things, but it seems to be just like common language seems to sort of be at the root of a lot of things. Um, we spoke um, in a previous session about a TED video, uh, which is something that I really, really enjoy, uh, but uh, a woman speaks about the idea of coming out um, and until I watched this video, it, it didn't um, it didn't resonate with me in, until uh, she framed coming out in a different way. So typically, when you hear that term, you think of you know someone telling their parents that they're gay or or that they're you know something not uh, heteronormative. Um, but the way that this woman framed it was that you know we come out. Everyone comes out um, in different ways. So, uh, you know, coming out and telling your your friends that you have um, a terminal illness or not, you know, it doesn't have to be that severe, but, you know, coming out and telling people that you're suffering from depression or or anything like that. And I think that um, language is interesting because on one hand, it's, it's, I think, a really beautiful thing to to take ownership of certain terms and, and things that might have once been negative or had a certain connotation. But I think in, in a lot of cases, and, and for me, um, the term coming out uh, stands out significantly, is that we should look at it as um, a term that we all own collectively. Um, because coming out, no matter what you are coming out about, is a big deal. Um, and it's something we all, as people, go through. Um, and I think a big part of, uh, of of this whole sort of language issue is that um, a lot of language around um, homophobia and, and transphobia and all these things is is um, sort of not understanding the the human behind this idea. And I think that if we all start to understand that we come out and we do these things and we experience the same things, just maybe for different reasons that I think um, people will, you know, might be able to have that switch go off um, and see it a little differently. Well, it's making that human connection too, right? Because 
um, sometimes, sometimes when I'm doing a workshop, I describe uh, when I was a kid what I thought a gay person was. Um, I'm gay, right? Or I identify as queer, but in all intents and purposes, when I'm talking to junior high students, I usually just say the word gay. Um, and what I say is, like, I, I understood that a gay person, where there was like these two guys in Toronto that wore these weird outfits, and no one really knew where they were, but they were gay. They were, they were the gay people, right? And was that correct? No, obviously. Uh, I'm sure those guys exist in Toronto, but uh, there's more than that in Toronto. There's, they're, 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 we're everywhere, right? Um, but I think, it's, I think it's having those conversations and actually understanding and making that human connection that there's actually like tons of gay people, tons of trans people um, in our everyday lives. And, and, and so when we're talking about like you know, making those connections with our families and making those connections with um, older generations. I think it's important to kind of like um, t talk about like talk about people in different ways. So, like for for example, like w w um, w when we're doing like an English class with a, with a junior high school, right? Um, and we're talking about Oscar Wilde, right? Don't just re not just reading Oscar Wilde, right? But actually talking about who Oscar Wilde was. Right, and 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 talking about um, the climate of, of where he lived and and what he went through and how that affected his work and all of that kind of stuff. Like those conversations are happening more now, um, and that's a good thing. And I think it's also a good thing that um, the educational level of, of say a junior, say a grade seven student today in Nova Scotia versus when I was in grade seven, which was in the early 2000s, um, it's astronomically different, right? Because when I was in junior high school, I knew, I had heard of the words gay, lesbian, bisexual, and straight, right? I didn't really know what these things meant, but I'd heard of them. And when I go into a junior high now to talk to youth, and I um, describe, you know, we're talking about sexual orientation and gender identity stuff, and I get them to list off sexual orientations they've heard of before. And I usually get a pretty big list, right? I usually get at least seven or eight different words. Um, and that really speaks to, and they know what these words mean. I think it's beyond just they can produce this list, but they actually understand what these things mean. And I think that, I think that has a lot to do with access to information um, that we didn't have um, even five, ten years ago. Um, you know, via the internet, via um, social media, that kind of stuff. I think that has played a really major role. Um, so that kind of translate into more educated youth can have a more educated conversation with a parent, right? And they are, they really are. Like the, the youth that I talk to, they're really having conversations with their parents. And like, it might be, it's, it's, it's difficult, obviously. Um, but, you know, the, there are more, and I wouldn't even say more, I, I think there might be more supports in place, but I think the, the supports that are in place are more obvious and uh, people are making more connections. I think that you, we today, you just said the, the thing that I was thinking of, that parents have changed so dramatically yeah. uh, through the last couple of decades. I mean, when I was a young child and a teenager, you ask your father, your mother about sex, and she says, go and talk to your, to your father, and your father sends you back to your mother, and you never get any message at all, and you look at a cow and hope for the best, right? <laughs> so, so we have moved, like, in a jump, 
way, way beyond. Yeah. And we are you we are lucky that we're here. Mm -hmm. But we as you said also, there's a lot work to be done yeah well like like, for, like when I was in, when I was in grade six I remember I don't I can I can't find it I'm really trying to find a copy of it but there was this video we watched called Fred Nana I'll never forget it I'll never forget it for the rest of my life and it was just this animated sex ed video and that was the extent of of sex of quote sex ed right and and, and to, to preface that video it was essentially like describing uh, straight sex within a marriage as like the model for sex right <laughs> and not only sex but sexuality right um, we didn't have discussions of sexuality we just had discussions of straight sex right and then we kind of moved on um, and, and even that's changing so it's not and I, I think it's also really important to kind of like shift um, sexuality out of health class and out of healthy living and out of those kinds of classes into other stuff, sure. right? Um, because when we kind of like pigeonhole um, all of this information into these two classes, we kind of, we, we do two things. We kind of, we, we reduce how much we're talking about um, people so we don't, people don't see themselves reflected in curriculum. But we also um, sexualize things that aren't sexual at all. So when we're in sex, quote, sex ed, and we're talking about, and that's the only place we hear about trans people, right? Um, it, I'm not saying it's not important to talk about um, transgender identity and, and it, in, in, a, in a sexual context, but it's also really important to talk about trans people outside of that class, right? Um, because that just doing that of, of kind of omitting these people out of out of so many other different things it 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 it, it both sexualizes and invisibilizes a really giant diverse group of people um, and the same thing with people of all different sexual orientations right if we only talk about these people you know if we only maybe mention oscar wilde was gay in health class <laughs> as an analogy for something yeah no, um, no. It's not really doing it justice. No, it isn't. It isn't. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and I feel the same way. Like, what's more about how people, Jessica, would just assume that you are going to study gender, gender studies. Identity. Yeah. Gender studies. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of who you are, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, encompass everything that is you. And I think even, like, when we're, we're when, 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 um, even people within academia, Right and within like kind of like quote these topics in academia, um, there's a lot of like misuse of language, right? Um, like even the word like homosexual, for example. Um, I'd say most people, uh, I, I'd say yeah, and then this is a, a, a quality judgment of my own, but like I would say a lot of people don't necessarily identify with that label, right? Um, for a lot of reasons, right? That has a really it has a really long history behind that word. There's there's a, a really long history of um, that being considered mental illness, right? Being gay can being considered mental illness. It isn't, and never will be mental illness. Um, but it has a diagnosis, and that word was created for the purpose of diagnosing people with this thing, right? And so, um, when I'm looking, like, if I'm doing, if I'm writing a paper, or if I'm if I'm trying to find information about people that have been studying people that aren't straight or or or, or whatever. Um, we see a lot of this kind of like archaic language, and um, but we don't we don't you know we don't really think about that. Even people that are like teaching um, 
uh, gender stuff and, and sexuality stuff in their classes. Um, you know, they're kind of learning from students about language, right? Because the students are the ones that are kind of like creating new language and contemporary language. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just... Like, why aren't we learning about these things in social studies, right? With like, around the world, we hear about the fights with um, for with race issues and the old First Nation struggles, and uh, here we have this huge, 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 huge addition to the curriculum that could be added uh, of trans people, LGBT people, the significant, significant activists that are trans and LGBT. Why are, you know, why aren't we learning about this, right? Do we need to go online and learn this stuff, or can we learn it in a safe environment in a classroom, right? And why are we limiting, as he said before, um, trans to sex ed, when Gender identity has nothing to do with your sexual activities or who you date. Being trans does not determine if you're straight, gay, pan, bi, asexual, any of those it doesn't determine, right? So, although people do need to learn about it somewhere, so I think we need to start looking at LGBT people, QI people as human, right? We're all just human, just another trait. I think a big issue that I find... um that a lot of people don't understand and not for any fault of their own. They can be the most liberal, you know, out there person in the world, but the difference between sex um, or sexuality and, and gender mm-hmm. um, is, is sort of a, a big misconception. And exactly as, as you said it, identifying as one thing doesn't necessarily have to do with sexual activity. It's, it's how you feel, it's how you are, um, you know, it might, you know, for you, depending on who you are, have to do with it. But gender identity itself um, is its own independent um, quality. And, and a lot of people struggle to, to sort of make that separation just because we're taught that, you know, these things are all related to sex. Yeah. And well, we muddle up the language, right? Mm-hmm. We muddle up. I muddled that up right um, there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't implying that. No, I do. I do. <laughs> But like we, we muddle up this language, and and uh, one of the one of the most important distinctions I think we can we can try to start teasing apart is the difference between sex and gender, right? Like our uh, biology, our bodies, right, and and how we feel and how we think, um, and and those are two two very different things. And sometimes we 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 make a lot of assumptions about these two things, right? We kind of use these words interchangeably and kind of as as synonyms, and they're they're absolutely not, right? Mm-hmm. And and in that in, in that sense, so we're talking about that kind of stuff, and then the the difference between someone's gender identity, so who they are, right? Their sense of being a guy or a girl, or, or however you define that, and then their sexual orientation, and and like sometimes I get asked the question, um, well, what is a transgender person's sexual orientation, right? And that's and I think we get asked that question because we can't separate these two things, mm-hmm. right? And the answer to the question is obviously they can have any sexual orientation, right? That anybody else can have because being transgender isn't a sexual orientation. Um, but it's, it's hard when we so consistently muddle language to start pulling it apart again. And I think that's why it's really important to talk to, to you um, because they haven't had like 25 years of 
<laughs> of like, oh, putting, uh, you know, name, gender on a form and being like, oh, I'm a, this isn't actually asking me how do I feel about who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. That is true. And a good thing if you don't know someone's gender, just ask what are your gender pronouns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may seem to get you at first because I know when I first really gunned to the LGBT community and people asking this, I'm just like thinking why. Then it suddenly became obvious. People, there's there's more than just a gender binary. There's gender queer people. There's bi gender people. There's a gender people. People with both genders. People with no genders. People who transition um, f- uh, their. Uh, their sex to match their gender identity, that um, they follow their gender identity rather than their flesh between their legs, right? So it's a polite thing to do is ask, what are your gender pronouns if you don't know? Uh, you, it shows that you're willing to be educated and, and um, you know, as an accept, accept person, people like people, um, people really like you getting their gender pronouns correct. So ask, right? Um, it is not okay to ask someone's um, sexuality, though. Like, in, in le- unless you plan on getting in their pants and think you stand a good chance. You know, if you think you stand a good chance at getting in their pants, uh, go ahead. I, consensually. Consensually. <laughs> consensually. Consensually. I just want to, like, put that on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, put that on the record. Unless, unless you think... Unless, unless they're giving you some signals, then feel free to ask their sexuality. But otherwise, that, that's kind of something I wouldn't suggest. So, this is where I always get confused. Well, not confused, but I always am not sure about is it's not necessarily that it's an offensive question in itself. What is your gender pronoun? But if you say go up to some guy who considers himself straight, and I would say heterosexual, but he would call himself straight because he sees that as being normal or something like that. Say, for example. Well, I think we usually we usually say straight. Like yeah, we just said. I mean, but like it's it's a it's a loaded term, but it's a word people use to describe themselves because they see yeah. that as normal. Yeah. And then you know, or you know, you, that person is you like, yeah, I'm male and I have a penis. Okay. Um, but then, for for whatever reason, I don't know. Maybe he's wearing a hippie wig or something. And then you, and you're not sure. And then you ask, "What's your gender pronoun?" And that person, you know, like punches you in the face or something. It's just it's, it's how do you how, how do you know how to approach this situation? Something that I do um, because I don't want to make an assumption about anybody. So if I meet someone for the first time and and say we're we're talking. Um, you ask me a question about this person across the room that I just met or that I don't know. Um, and you say, I don't know, do they have a coffee yet? Right? Or did that person get a coffee yet? And I'll say, I wouldn't say, yeah, he has a coffee or yeah, she has a coffee. I'd say, yeah, they have a coffee. And so I'm not, that's just one way that I use um, to to kind of combat that, so I'm trying not making assumptions, right? Because I'm not, I'm not necessarily. You know, some people would prefer the pronoun they for themselves, um, but, but, but some people wouldn't, right? Um, but at least I'm not making an assumption about a certain person, um, and then you know, I just kind of wait through a conversation, and then if if people are using, you know, I just kind of follow other people's others other people's lead, and that and that person's lead, um, and say, you know. So because, because it can be it can be a difficult conversation, but I think it's it's a conversation that's worth at least being cognizant of the fact that we should be like thinking about it. Yeah, and I guess if you know the, whoever has their own um, you know specific pronoun, um, I guess it would make sense to set your own example and you know 
make it known what you want to be referred to. I think, as. yeah, I think it's 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 sort of an uncomfortable conversation uh, because you don't know what the reaction is going to be. You don't know that if you go up to someone and just start with, "Hi, you know, my name's Catherine. What's your preferred gender pronoun? I prefer she and her." <laughs> you know, on one hand, it could be that the person's not exposed to that sort of thing, and they think, you know, what are you saying? I don't know. The first time that I had a conversation that started with that, I said, "Well." Identify as, as female, um, and and then afterwards, I, you know, I, I realized that there's a huge chip on my shoulder when I said that because it's not necessarily obvious. Um, um, I could identify as something else, and, and this was um, I, this was someone who was going out and and opening up the space and, and saying like, hey, you know, this is me, this is who I am. I want you to be who you are, and and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable about it. So I'm just going to go out and stay it. Um, but it is it is a, a, a weird thing to start with because you know you don't know if you're insulting the other person or maybe this is someone who uh, is always dealing with sort of gender related topics questions and, and something that they don't want to talk about it's something they're personally not comfortable with um, for whatever reason uh, but I think if you are uh, if you are taking the time to um, you know to, to talk about something like that it's not a closed-minded question and, and I think it's absolutely in the way you phrase it. If you go out to someone and say, like, what are you, you know, that's extremely rude and incredibly inappropriate and none of your business. But if you go and you ask for help, you know, so if you go and you say, hi, you know, this is who I am, this is what I identify with, I don't want to be rude to you, can you tell me this for you too? I think that is um, a non aggressive way of, of sort of showing that you're interested in, in engaging with this person and talking to them with respect. And we can just tell people we don't want to make assumptions, right? It's mm -hmm. like, just, just stating that, it's like, uh, um, you know, asking a question to not make an assumption versus making an assumption, right? Maybe neither of these options are perfect, but one is better, right? Mm -hmm. Um but perhaps just listening. And that's, yeah. You know, I mean, you were saying before, you are looking, you are listening to the story being told to you. Mm -hmm. And then you can maybe say, all right, now I would like to ask you. Mm -hmm. But you are leaving it, you know, like the gap is getting wider mm -hmm. for you to ask that question that you may want to ask. So you don't, like you just said, you blurt it out. Hi, pleased <laughs> to meet you. Hey, it's it's hear what you've got to say here. You know, give it, give it, give it the respect as Catherine said, yeah. and and then listen. Well, I it's think it's that, the same with with anything. Like yeah. you wouldn't walk up to someone and be like, oh, like hello, tell me uh, some incredibly personal detail about yourself. Yeah, and how old are you, by yeah. the way? <laughs> yeah. When you get to my age. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think um, we, we've sort of <laughs> jumped around quite a bit. I think there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot more to be said. Um, I know something that has come up a lot is just the importance of talking about it, uh, which is something that we have uh, gone over many times with this series, is, is the importance of talking about these issues that matter to us. Um, and I think this topic, more than anything else, needs to be spoken about more openly, more open-mindedly, um, uh, and with just a, a better attitude. Um, but uh, does anyone else have any final thoughts? 
Uh, I guess I'll just add to that one. Uh, before anyone else has any final thoughts, they're like, yeah, a really good place to bring it up is like, um, if you're uh, in a society or some sort of group or whatever, starting with like, people start with saying something like their name, where they're from, or their name, their age. Another thing is their name and gender pronoun. Hi, my name's Jessica and my gender pronoun is female. Um, I've been in some that people were unfamiliar with and it started off as like their gen pronouns then they kind of lost it as people got confused and you know what that's okay but they're beginning to consider it right just like you said before the first time you heard it it could confuse you at first but then you get that chip on your shoulder you realize wait a second right it was a great learning opportunity so you know stuff like that uh yeah i think that's all i have yeah i was uh, yeah i guess kind of like a final thought is just saying that like just really reiterating that conversations are really important and also that um, like it's really really valuable to listen um, because it can be really really hard for someone to talk about this stuff um, if, they, if they're dealing with themselves I know um, I could probably say that most LGBTQ asterisk people um, remember the first conversation they had with someone about being LGBTQ asterisk. Um, I, I do very clearly remember sitting in Jack Astor's in Dartmouth Crossing, a very classy establishment, um, with a very good friend of mine. Um, and we were eating like gross burgers, I'm sure. and. We were just chatting, and uh, we were, uh, we were. I think we were both in like first year university, and um, the kind of the conversation kind of got to the point where like I was like I said I thought I might be bisexual because at the time I was um, presenting as straight because I had a girlfriend in high school and and I still hadn't told anybody that I was actually um, actually queer, um, and so like that conversation took an enormous, incalculable, in, in, uh, unmeasurable weight off of me. Um, and, and because of the response of being like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like, that's amazing, right? Uh, it was my only friend of mine that I knew at the time. She identified as a lesbian. And like, so I knew it was probably a safe person to talk to. And I could just kind of like, like vomit all of this information um, to her. And it was really, really, uh, really important. Um, so just, you know, actively listening to people is really, uh, it makes a big difference. So, yeah, and it's the easiest thing to do. You know, get a good coffee and just sit. You're probably going to do that at some point today anyway. <laughs> so just let someone else be there kind of talking to you. Um, it's, it's really, it's pretty major. I think um, just as important as being able to talk about these t types of things, though, it's really important that we be able to you know, reconcile them with ourselves before we even get to the point of talking. Because I remember in high school, you know, the word gay, fag, that was, those were thrown around as insults a lot, not necessarily because being um, gay was a bad thing, but that it just happened to have that association. I'm not really sure where that came from. Regardless, um, and uh, I was made fun of a lot for not necessarily being gay, but for being effeminate. Because I mean, I, I I didn't identify as gay, and I still don't. But it was something that was questioned on me a lot. And as I guess a sort of, you know, it was kind of aggressive, and it made me 
afraid of what I might be. And then I spent a lot of time thinking I was asexual and, you know, I wasn't exactly sure, but it's, I think it's really important, not necessarily to be sure, but to be willing to find out who you are, you know, be accepting of whatever you might be before. Like if you can't accept who you are, then no one else will be able to even know who you are. And even, but in saying things out loud sometimes like makes it really real and really like when you say something, when I, I think when I said by the word bisexual, like, oh yeah, no, that's that's actually not who I am at all. <laughs> but like in my mind, I'm like, well, that must be who I am because I can't be, I can't be gay. Yeah. I just have to be like a little less than straight. Yeah, it's like the pressure. To, it's the pressure to conform. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've come a long way. <laughs> I've really given given up that the the, the straight dream. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, and I'm, and I and I'm a much happier person because of it. Like I. I I think that these conversations we are having, and hopefully we will have in the future, are so wonderful and so informative and so human and so respectful. And I think the one thing I can say is we need to keep on talking. Mm -hmm.